Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob and no misery observed in Israel. The Lord, their God, is with them. The shout of the king is among them. Y'all say that last line with me. The shout of the king is among them. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word this morning. And Lord, would your blessing come over this church as we shout praises to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I've been in this series called We Are. And this morning, a little bit different message. But the title of my message is We Are a Shouting Church. Amen. Amen. Y'all have caught on to this thing. I love it. We are a shouting church. We, according to the word of God, the shout among the people of God is a powerful spiritual weapon. Pastor Katie, can you hand me some water? We were at ramp this weekend and I, my throat is, yes, we were shouting. Amen. I want to teach you this morning what the scriptures have to say about how we are to worship God, praise God, and declare the word of God with our voice, with the shout. Now, a few of you have probably heard me preach this story before. Um, I preached it a few years ago, that this passage of Scripture, and some of y'all were there when I was there. But, you know, I, I kind of I was dealing with the Lord about this because He changed my message and wanted me to preach this. I felt like He was leading me to. And I said, Lord, I, I have preached this text already, and people in our church have heard it. And uh, the Lord said, well, have you preached on salvation more than once? And it's like, okay, all right. So, so it's like, okay, we'll, we'll preach it again and maybe do a little different twist on it. But it's been several years. Maybe you weren't there when I preached it. But uh, I believe God has given me a fresh word for our church this morning. And here's the story. We're in Numbers chapter 23. We're in the Old Testament. And there is a king named Balak. Everybody say Balak. Balak rules over the nation of Moab. Say Moab. Balak rules over the nation of Moab, and Moab is sort of like Israel's distant cousin. They share some common ancestry. They live near each other, but they don't quite see eye to eye on everything. And Balak, the king, is worried that Moab and Israel are about to have a little family feud. And he's seen that Israel has been victorious in battle over and over again. And they've defeated nation after nation as they seek to take possession of the promised land God has given them. Now, Balak, the king of Moab, realizes that he too is probably going to face Israel in battle as they continue to progress through the land toward the land that God has promised them. And he knew that if the armies ever turned against his, uh, the armies of Israel ever turned against his nation, he would never be able to defeat them. They, this is the nation that just a few chapters before defeated Egypt, the most powerful empire on the planet at the time. And they had been fighting their way through the wilderness 
up to the place of the promise, and they've been winning every single battle that they fought. They have even been beating armies that were bigger, stronger, wealthier, and more well-trained than Israel was. And the rumor was getting around the ancient world that the people of Israel had a God that was different than every other God. And this God was giving them the victory over nations that were even more powerful than them. So Balak is seeing this happen in Israel and seeing what God is doing for Israel, and he is getting prepared for the battle. And so knowing that he doesn't believe he can defeat Israel in the natural, King Balak looks for another way to defeat them. The Bible tells us that he goes and he hires a witch doctor named Balaam. Now, Balaam, we we don't use that term witch doctor a whole lot in our culture. That's not something that we normally do. Uh, The Bible calls Balaam a witch doctor, calls him a diviner. It calls him a false prophet. And and what a witch doctor is, and we could, is is someone who... uh, practices certain spiritual rituals in order to manipulate the world around us. That's what witchcraft is, is when you practice certain spiritual rituals in order to manipulate the spiritual and the natural world around you. Now, that might sound a little bit crazy, and you say, oh, that's so unevolved, and that is so backwards, and we don't do that kind of thing anymore, but you read your horoscope this week. Or we might say, well, that's something ancient and that's something that happened back in the in, in, in long ago times and witch doctors aren't a thing anymore. Talk to a missionary and go to other places in the world where witch doctoring is still a very common practice. In fact, you can go to certain places in the United States and there are witch doctors. You go up, I grew up on the eastern side of the country. You go into the mountains of the eastern United States. There are witch doctors up in the mountains. You go up to Arkansas in some places in the deep in the hills where they have to pipe sunlight in because it's so, you know what I'm talking about? There's some witch doctors up in the Ozarks. You go out to some of the Native American reservations that are in the western part of the United States. There are still, this is a common practice. We live in a bubble and don't realize it's going on, but this is a common thing. Now, uh, a witch job, being a witch doctor is actually a job, it's your career, it's a business. And it's actually, it's a pretty profitable business. All you have to do is convince people that you have enough spiritual power to manipulate the natural world around you. And if people buy into that, they will come and pay you to spiritually manipulate the world around them on their behalf. That's what witch doctors do. And these false prophets, they dabble in all sorts of occultish practices and, and, and they contact and attempt to manipulate the spiritual world and the natural order. Sometimes they try to get in touch with uh, souls that have died and sometimes they try to get in touch with other gods and, and demonic spirits and all those kinds of things. And, and it's not even uncommon for these men and women to actually live with demon possession in their own life, to be possessed by by demonic powers, and they tamper with these powers and these spiritual forces in an effort to make a living for themselves. And they, they would seek to, to communicate with any God or any spirit or any spiritual power or influence that they could. Now, now you realize that there are, there's more to the cosmos, there's more to the world than what you can see with your own natural eyes. 
that we live in a world where there are evil powers and principalities and spiritual forces at work in an unseen realm all around us. And these spiritual forces of darkness seek to kill, steal, and destroy everything that is good and godly. That's what they do. And so these witch doctors, they work to get in contact with these powerful spiritual forces. And they're not bound by any one faith or religious tradition. They're not bound to serving one God or another. They are forgive me for the expression, but spiritual prostitutes who will get in bed with any God or any spirit as long as the money is good. Their business success relies on their ability to successfully execute the task whoever paid them to do, asked them to do. So for example, someone may come to one of these witch doctors and they would say, uh, say they're a farmer, and they would pay this witch doctor to perform a certain ritual that would enable rain to come and bless the crops and uh, cause the crops to grow. This is a common practice. And so they would go to the witch doctor, pay him some kind of offering, pay him some kind of fee or her some kind of fee. And then that witch doctor would maybe go slaughter an animal or go do a dance or do some kind of ritual and, and, and say some kind of chant. And, and, and that, that would uh, hopefully manipulate the world in, in a way in the natural world that, that rain would actually come. And oftentimes it does come. Oftentimes it works. Oftentimes they see the results of it. If it did work, that was good for business because more people would come to you to ask you to perform those rituals on their behalf because if it worked for them, I'll pay you too. So it, it was good for business when it did work. And if it didn't work, then you weren't a very good witch doctor and you didn't stay in business very long. So the Bible tells us that Balak the king summoned this prophet or this witch doctor named Balaam. And Balaam had a good reputation for being an effective witch doctor. He, he was effective at pronouncing blessings and curses and seeing those blessings and curses come to pass in the lives of the people he blessed and cursed. So Balak says, I want the best. I've got to have the best guy, the most effective guy who can help me in case Israel comes to fight against me. Now there's this whole series of events in Numbers chapter 22 and chapter 23 I can't really go into, but at first Balaam refuses to come and, and, and work for Balak and, and it goes back and forth and Balaam has these spiritual encounters that finally encourage him to go and, and serve the king. And, and then there's even a talking donkey in the story. I don't have time to, to teach all of that, but you can go back and read it. It's a wild story. You should get, the Bible's fun to read when you get take a look at it, when you really get. But all of this goes on. But finally, Balaam tells King Balak, he says, okay, I'll come. But he says, under one condition, you need to understand that if I come and work for you, I can only say what I hear in the spirit realm. I can't make up a blessing or a curse. I'm going to have to just say and do whatever the spirit I get in contact with tells me to say or do. And you got to pay me either way. That was the deal they made. And Balak, Balak says, okay, deal, because you're the best one. I want, I want you to come, and you come, and you, you curse the people of Israel for me so that if they come and rise up against me in battle, then, then I will have power over them because you have cursed them. So 
Balaam arrives after they made this deal and the king starts to take Balaam to different mountaintops all around the valley where Israel is camped out. And he takes him to seven different mountaintops in particular. And, and at every place he goes to the top of the mountain and the king makes a sacrifice to the pagan god Baal, who is a false god and who is actually inspired by a demonic spirit. And he makes a sacrifice to this demonic spirit called Baal. And then he tells Balaam, he says, okay, I made the sacrifice to Baal. Now you go get in touch with Baal and hear, hear from Baal and get a curse from Baal to place on the nation. I know this is a different world than we live in, but trust me, this stuff still happens. And he says, so you do this and then you're going to curse, give a, get a curse from Baal to curse on, pronounce on the people of Israel. And every mountain that he takes Balaam to, Balaam opens his mouth to start cursing Israel. And instead of cursing Israel, he starts blessing Israel every single time. One time the word he gets is, I can't curse what God has blessed. And that's what he pronounces over the people of Israel. I can't curse what God has blessed. And even he says in that prophecy, he says, man, I wish I was as blessed as the Israelites were. So he's not really fulfilling his job here, you know. Another time at a different mountain, he gets a word and it's actually from God. God begins speaking through this false prophet, actually. And, and, and the word he gets is their king's going to be higher than every other king. No one will disturb him or his kingdom. Whoever blesses them will be blessed and whoever curses them will be cursed. This man's supposed to be cursing him and he's heaping on blessing after blessing over these people. Another time he says a star is going to rise up out of Israel and defeat all of Israel's enemies. He's supposed to be pronouncing a curse so I can beat Israel. And instead he's saying there's going to be someone who rises up out of Israel that is undefeatable. That's the word, that's what's happening in this unique story. But, but the scripture I read to you this morning was at a particular mountain at a particular time that I want to zero in on. Balaam says something very unique and interesting about God's people. And in fact, let me just read you the whole story for a second. Numbers 23, verse 13. They're at the third mountain. And Balak said to him, come with me to another place where you can see them. You will not see them all, but only the outskirts of the camp. And from there, you can curse them. He says, you keep blessing them. Let's try one more time and see if you can curse them. So he took them to a, the field of Zophim on the top of Pisgah. And there he built seven altars and he offered a bull and a ram on each altar. He's getting desperate. Not just one sacrifice anymore. We'll try seven. And Balaam said to Balak, stay here beside your offering while I meet with him over there. And the Lord, not Baal... Not some false god, not some demonic spirit, but the Lord God himself met with Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and give him this word. How many knows God can speak through unlikely places? So he went to him and he found him standing beside his army. He went back to the king with the Moabite officials. He's got his court around him, all of his servants. And Balak said, well, Balaam, what did the Lord say? And this is the prophecy that he gives. He, he spoke this message. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. God's already blessed Israel. He's not going to change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery is observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of the king is among them. 
Verse 22, God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no divination against Jacob. No witchcraft is going to work. No evil omens against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. In other words, God has made them an unstoppable force. And he says that God is among them and the shout of the king is among them. And I want to talk to you about this idea of the shout. Because we are a shouting church. And I believe that the shout of the king is among us as a people. Because I believe that today God wants to take some of you to a place in your relationship with him that you have never been before. I believe God has plans for you and a future for you, but you will only access some of those plans and some of that destiny if you learn the shout. Now, this topic is it's pretty unusual. We don't normally hear sermons about this. In fact, the idea of shouting in church might have been foreign or new to you before you started coming to this church. It might have even seemed disrespectful or out of order. And to be honest, you might think, you know, this is a little bit weird or strange. But according to Scripture, and we're a Bible church too, and according to Scripture, there is a mandate from God for us as His people to practice the shout. And this story about Balak and Balaam and Moab and Israel, something about the shout makes all the difference in the story. The shout has the power to silence the curse and hinder the enemy when he comes against you. When Balaam goes up to give a prophetic word, he says, I want to help you out, king. I want to honor our agreement. I want to be able to do what you're asking me to do. But something about I, I am trying to form words of curse in my mouth. But every time I open my mouth, instead of curses, blessings come out. And the reason I can't curse these people is because there's something different about these people. I can't curse them because they are a people who there is something peculiar about them. Balaam says there is a sound coming from the people of Israel. He says, I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked down in the valley where they are camping and there is a volume, there is a cry, there is a shout, there is a noise coming from the heart of the people of God and it is so loud that it drowns out any curse, any word of accusation, any word of condemnation that I could possibly try to form with my lips. It is drowned out by the shout that is among them. I can't curse them, Balak, because the shout of the king is among them. We are a shouting church because the Bible calls us to be a people of the shout. Now, five quickly biblical truths about the shout. Number one, the shout is commanded by God. Why are we a shouting church? Because God told us to. We do not worship. You know, well, let me say this. Have you ever heard a preacher or a worship leader or someone leading a, a, a service of some kind and they say something like this? And I know what they mean by it, but this is what they say. They say, you know, just worship how you feel comfortable. Whatever just feels comfortable to you, that, that's how you worship. Just, just stay in your comfort zone and whatever feels good to you, that, that's how you worship God. Did you know that's not a biblical statement at all? 
The Bible never once says worship how it feels comfortable to you. That's something that we have put on and we have created, but that is not a concept given in the Scripture. The Scripture actually gives specific instructions in how to worship. He tells us what we are to do in order to properly worship God. And it's all through the Bible. The Bible talks about clapping your hands unto the Lord. Why do we, we're clapping church too. Amen? The Bible talks about singing and sing a new song to the Lord. The Bible talks about dancing before the Lord in worship. We're a dancing church. You want to dance in this church? You go right ahead. I can't dance. I'm not a very good dancer. But if you can, or if you just, if you can't, but you still want to, you go for it. The Bible talks about kneeling before the Lord in worship. We, we believe in using your body to worship God. The Bible talks about bowing before God in worship. The Bible talks about playing instruments for the Lord in worship. I know there's some churches that don't believe that, but I don't know what Bible they're reading because my Bible talks about the harp and the lyre and talks about the cymbals and it talks about instruments and, and, and it talks about praising God with instruments. The Bible talks about giving and generosity as an act of worship. We worship God when we give. We just received an offering. That was not just paying a bill. That was worshiping God. The Bible says to pray in a time of worship. Pray and, and spend time in prayer and talk and commune with the Lord. The Bible talks about speaking words of praise and adoration. Speaking the, speaking the word of God, reading the scripture publicly. All of those things are all a part of worship. The Bible even talks about weeping and crying in worship. That there is a time where you're in worship and just tears begin to fall. So the Bible gives instructions. These are appropriate ways to worship. I wish I could teach on all of them and spend time with it, but I don't have all that time. But in addition to all of those things that we do. Now, none of us in here would say, you know what? That singing, I don't know, that singing in worship goes a little too far for me. Singing in church, I don't know about that one. That's a little too strange. None of us would say that, right? But did you know that the Bible mentions shouting as a form of worship almost as many times as it talks about singing as a form of worship? We think, oh, shouters, that's, that's for the weird sister so-and-so that likes to get loud every now and then. And she's the shouter. And she, no, but all of us sing, but only a few people shout. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture just almost just as much as it talks about singing to God in worship. It talks about shouting to God in worship. The Bible tells us repeatedly to shout. He says things like, let all those who trust in God shout. He says things like, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He says, the, sh the saints, that's you. If you've been saved, you're a saint. The saints shall all shout aloud. He says, shout, you inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you. Let God's people sing and shout from the mountaintops. Shout praises to God in the midst of the nations. In other words, just don't just... Don't just shout when you're here among friends. You can shout unto God right in, right in the middle of everybody and just say, thank you, Jesus. You can give him a shout of praise. Oh, shout, oh, Jerusalem, be glad and rejoice. Now, I want to be obedient to the Bible. I want to be obedient to what God's word says. And God's word has instructed us to shout. 
So what does God, what does it mean to shout in worship? What is that all about? When we read the word shout, it's actually the Hebrew word teruach. You got to have, that's one of those words where you got to, it's back here. You got to have some phlegm in your throat to say it. Teruach. And that word means, it means a loud, clamorous sound. It is insistent, vehement sound. It's often a shout that is accompanied by the blast of the trumpet. It is sometimes used in the sense of a war cry or a battle cry, but it is also used as a sound of joy, and it's frequently used as loud, clamorous noise in the context of public worship, especially services with music. Now, now, don't tell me. Some of y'all, this I, I could just feel some resistance here. That's not for me, preacher. That sounds a kind of extreme. I don't know if I can do that. What will people think of me? I, I'm just not a loud person. Don't give me that. You shouted at your kids this morning. I'm too sh- shy to shout. Well, you shout across the house at your husband when he wasn't listening. I t- you know, that's just not, that's just not my personality. Well, you shouted at, at that video game when you got that double kill on Call of Duty. I heard you shouting. I just, I don't know. That's just, that's a little awkward, Pastor. Well, I heard you in the dugout last week and you were shouting cheers at the batter and jeers at the pitcher. You know, there's other people around and, and what would they think of that? Well, you got in a little short skirt and got on the sidelines of a football field and you shouted at a bunch of people eating peanuts. Listen, at some point, our choices in how we worship according to God's word are about a heart of obedience to the Father. Because we love him. And because we want to love him, and if we love him, we will obey him and with even more energy than that family argument. And with any, even more energy than on the sidelines of a ball field. And with even more energy and excitement than a video game. We say, God, you are worthy of my shout. You are worthy of me opening my mouth in front of everybody or in front of nobody. And you are worthy to hear me open my mouth and praise the one who has saved me by his marvelous grace. You have called me to shout your praises. You have called me to shout about your glory. You have called me to shout about your goodness and shout in victory and shout in worship. So I'm going to shout. Hallelujah. In fact, let's take a break. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. A full participation this morning. Everybody stand up. On the count of three, we're going to shout to Jesus and just tell him, thank you, Jesus. Tell him, I love you, Jesus. We're going to shout. I know this is different. I know this is strange for some of you. But listen, we are going to obey the word of God this morning. You ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. We worship you, King Jesus. We worship and praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Yes, God. You can be seated. That's a good shout. 
We're almost there. It's going to get better. Number two, the shout is a weapon. The shout is a weapon. Many of us have heard the story in the Bible of Jericho in the book of Joshua and how the Israelites marched around the city for several days. And on the last day, they shouted and the walls came falling down. Listen to me, church. The shout is a weapon in your arsenal against the tricks of the enemy and against the the attacks of the enemy. The shout throughout Scripture is both the sound of worship and the sound of war. They shouted to sound the alarm when the enemy was coming to attack. They shouted to rally the troops in the heat of the battle. And they shouted a shout of praise when the battle was won. See, some of you right now, you came in this room and you are under a spiritual attack right now in your life. The enemy has come in and spoken lies and condemnation that have brought you down. They have brought you to a place where you feel like you can't succeed, where you feel like you can't win, you feel like there's no hope, and your family has come under attack, and your marriage has come under attack, and your mental health is being battled against, and your children are being sifted by the enemy, and your physical health is under attack, and you're sitting there thinking, If you only understood everything I'm going through, you'd understand why I can't shout. But maybe once things get better and maybe when things get a little more calm in my life and maybe when I get things further along, maybe then I'll feel like shouting no time and time again in Scripture when the people of God came under attack, even when it looked like they were losing the battle, they would let out a victory shout and they shouted when they started fighting and they shouted when the heat of the battle was rising and they shouted when God gave them the victory. See, you might not believe this, but listen to me. Your voice has power. Your voice has power. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So when death comes knocking on your door, you better open up your mouth and shout for life. You better shout unto God with the voice of triumph because my God has already overcome the cross and the grave. And so death, when you come, I'm shouting for Jesus because I can't beat you on my own, but I know someone who can. Your shout is often a key to victory. And listen, you don't wait until the victory comes to shout. You shout when victory seems impossible and you need a miracle. Listen, I, I am all for having those quiet times before the Lord. I am naturally a more quiet person. You might not believe that. But I am naturally a more introverted, contemplative person. I, I love those times where I've got the chair at our house, that that's where I go sit, and that's where I spend time with the Lord. And, and I, I get up before the girls do, and I, I just, I'll go sit in there, and I'll just spend time with I love those quiet times, and that, that's a commandment in Scripture. I love the secret place, and I love that reverent time. We need those times. You need a place like that. You need that. There are places in God that you can only access in those quiet times in the secret place with just you and the Lord alone, quietly and reverently listening. There are places in God you can only access through the quiet. But there are also places in God that you can only reach when you learn to shout. There are places in God that you can only access when you begin to practice the shout. See, the shout is both an offensive and a defensive spiritual weapon. We shout when we're under attack. 
We shout when the battle is going on. We shout when we won the victory. And we shout praise to the God who brought us through. It is a, we, we are a vocal people. God has called us to use our mouths to pray, to call on his name, to praise and to worship him. And the shout is one way of doing it. And we need to shout just as much as we need those times of quietness before the Lord. Number three, the shout creates joy. Now, hold on a second, because that, what, what you might think is normally we would say we shout when we feel joy. When we're joyous, we shout. But what I said is the shout creates joy. So what that means is when I'm not feeling joyful, if I will begin to open my mouth and I shout because I'm shouting with the expectation that joy will come when I begin to praise God. I'm shouting with the hope that joy will come in my heart in the midst of my pain and in the midst of my suffering. I shout expecting to reap joy in my life. I'm shouting to declare that even in the midst of unhappy feelings and different circumstances, I can still have joy. Psalm 98 says, shout for joy to the Lord. It doesn't say when you feel joyful, shout. It says shout for joy. Shout to get joy. All the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God. All the earth. Sing the glory of his name and make his praise glorious. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout to God with the voice of joy. Zephaniah 3. A shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. See, some of us we give too much credit to our emotions. We put too much value on how we are currently feeling. One day you're feeling good. Things are going good on top of the world. You got a good following on social media. You got a good ratio on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. You got that Snapchat selfie just right and sent it to all your friends and you can see that they all saw and people responded and gave you all kinds of good compliments and you got to see your long eyelashes and they look so pretty and that boy sat next to you at lunch and everything is good and then the next day your hair wouldn't fall right mama yelled at you on the way out the door your friend wore the same top you wore to school and so now you feel embarrassed the girl that you liked didn't text you back but she left you on red and all of a sudden a few things don't go your way and now it's oh my god my life is over Yesterday, things were so great. But I'm having a bad hair day. And I just want to crawl in a hole. And I don't want to live. No one loves me. I hate my life. I can't ever show my face in public again because she wore the same shirt as me. And we live on this roller coaster of emotions. Listen, emotions are good as long as they're made to behave. Emotions are good. You, you are not called to obey your emotions. You are called to make your emotions obey you. You are not to be a slave to emotion. You don't have to live your life up and down on some kind of emotional roller coaster. And some of us, when those negative emotions try to get the best of us, we need to learn to shout unto God with the voice of triumph and shout for joy, even when I'm not feeling joy, and declare over my body and declare over my mind and declare over my emotions, we're going to have joy. 
We're, we're going to praise God. We are going to see the good. We are going to find a way to make it through this. Yes, everything's not quite right. And uh, man, that was embarrassing what happened to you. And no, she shouldn't have said that. And, and oh, yes, that is awful. But I refuse to be a victim to my circumstances. And I am going to say my mind, my body, my emotions are going to overcome what has come against me. See, your voice, the sounds of your mouth, that, that, that your mouth makes your speech, it has power to shift uh, the emotional and spiritual atmosphere around you. You know those people. You've heard me talk about those people. When they enter the room, it's like the lights get 30% dimmer. Because all they can talk about is gloom and doom and despair and agony on me. And they're just constantly talking, look, finding the negative in every situation. And they're constantly looking down on something. And they're constantly finding something bad going on. And they wouldn't have good news if it fell in their lap. They would find, uh, they would, if someone handed them a million dollar check, they'd be the ones to say, well, I got to pay taxes on that still. It's a million, you know, those are those kind of people. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, we're not those kinds of people. We're the kind of people that, you know what, the world could be crumbling around me, but I have a future and I have a hope and he has won for me the victory and it might not look so good right now, but he promised me that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so it might not look so good now, but I know he's got a good plan to put it all together so I can shout for joy in the midst of all of it. You have the ability through the shout of faith to change the temperature in the room, to change the atmosphere. You can shift the atmosphere when you begin to worship. You can shift the atmosphere in your spiritual life. You can shift your own. You can think yourself out of depression. You can think yourself out of out of sadness. You can think yourself out of out of darkness. You can do mental, uh, spiritual brain surgery to get your mind back where it needs to be. If you will put into practice the word of God in your life. I'm preaching good, y'all. This is good stuff. Number four, the shout enthrones the king. I'm almost done. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. In ancient times. Whenever a new king or queen was being coronated, there was a specific ceremony that, take, that took place. There are very few countries on the face of the planet that still do it. First, the priests would come out and put the king in his new royal robes. The king would be seated on the throne. And then they would place the crown of majesty on the king's head. And they would hand the king a scepter the rod or staff which gave him the power to rule. And then after they decorate the king as a king should be decorated, all the people in the nation would kneel before the king and let out a shout of acclamation. Hail to the king or hail to the queen. Long live the king. And they would shout loudly and proudly as they affirmed the power and the rule of the king. And the king is not the king until the people have shouted that shout of acclamation. We will see this in a few years because our nation is, often sees the news from the United Kingdom. And one of these days she's going to die and there's going to be a new king. And we're going to see this take place. They're going to march him out. They're going to put a robe on him. They're going to put a, he's going to sit on the throne. They're going to put a crown on his head. They're going to give him a rod in his hand. And you watch, they will all shout acclamations to the new king. It still happens today. And the final shout of acclamation is the final act 
that officially enthrones a man as the new king. When you're here in a service, or you're in prayer, or you're in your car, or you're by yourself, and you begin to shout out praises to God, you are declaring in the atmosphere that Jesus is the king of my life. He has conquered you, you have submitted to him, and he is the king in your heart. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that. We need to remind ourselves who's king. If he's king, I am not. Remind myself with a shout exactly who the king is. Remind myself who calls the shots in my life. Remind myself who do I bow to and who do I adore and who deserves my praise. Did you know Jesus was enthroned just like this? That he had the same ceremony. It looked a little bit different for him. But Jesus, the Roman soldiers took him and they marched him up a hill. And when they got him to the top of the hill, the Bible says they put robes on him. Just like every other king. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, it says that they, uh, they, they took a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And then it says they found a broken reed just from a stick out in the woods. And they handed it to him. That was his scepter, his rod of authority. And they didn't sit him down on a throne, but they did put him on a piece of wood and they lifted him up for all the people to see. And you know what they did after they lifted him up? They shouted. They shouted, mocking him, but they still said, all hail the king. They thought they were making fun of him. They thought they were mocking him, but they said, hail the king. Jesus was enthroned by the shouts of mocking soldiers. And he was made king of heaven and earth in that moment. Because the sh he, he went through the ceremony to be enthroned as king of the universe. They weren't the robes that would normally be on a king, but they, he was stripped naked and given that scarlet robe. He didn't have some gold-plated, beautiful, ancient chair. His throne was just that old rugged cross. He didn't have a crown with a bunch of jewels in it. He just had a crown of thorns and a broken reed in his hand. But they still shouted, all hail the king. He was enthroned on the cross by the mocking shouts of Roman soldiers. And Jesus enthroned, is enthroned on our hearts by the adoring shouts of forgiven sinners. We shout praise this morning because back then they shouted insults. So we shout because God told us to. It's a commandment. We shout because it's a weapon. We shout because it creates joy in our lives. And we shout to enthrone Jesus in our lives. And the last one, and I'm done. Pastor Katie, you can go ahead and start coming. Actually, the whole team, we're just going to worship if the whole team would come and get ready. Last thing, God, the, or excuse me, the shout begins with God. I noticed something a few years ago. The Lord taught me something in the scripture that really kind of, uh, it blessed me but challenged me. I, I saw in the scripture that wherever Jesus does something for us, he always turns around and expects us to do the same thing. Have you ever seen that in the scripture? Think about it. 
he washed his disciples' feet, and then he turned around and said, do likewise, wash each other's feet. He taught the disciples, and then he turned around and said, go out, make disciples of all nations, and teach them to obey my commandments. He taught, and then he told them to go teach. He healed the sick, and then he sent out the 72 to go out and heal the sick. He went to the cross for you and for me. And then he turns around to us and says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Everything he does, he turns around and asks us to do. Whenever he does something, he always instructs us to do the same thing. And did you know Jesus shouts for you? Jesus was a shouter. He went to that grave in John chapter 11 where his friend Lazarus was laying in the tomb. He had him roll back the, the stone in front of the tomb and, Lazarus! Get up, he shouted, and life came into a dead body. He was walking down the road, walking by a cemetery, and there was a man in chains in the cemetery possessed with a legion of demons. The man cried out, I need help. And he spoke to that legion of demons. He said, get out! He shouted. And the demons had to obey and flee. He, the apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this. He's talking about the gospel. He's teaching the gospel. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, but God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love for us, has made us alive together with Christ, for he himself is our peace, and he has reconciled us to God in one body, through the cross, killing hostility. And then watch this, he preaches, but in the Greek, the word is shouts. And he shouts peace to those who are far off. And those who are near. He's shouting right now to every sinner and every saint. And saying, I'm shouting to you. I'm calling out to you. I'm shouting your name and I'm drawing you in. I have broken down the wall of hostility between you and God. And between you and your fellow man. And he's shouting, calling people unto himself. And then there's one last shout he hadn't shouted yet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's going to shout one of these days, and that eastern sky is going to be split, and he's going to open up every grave that has ever been dug, and we're going to rise up and meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to hear the trumpet blast, and we're going to hear the voice of the archangel, and listen, I'm shouting too when he starts shouting that. It's going to be a good day and we're going to be excited about it. And if you keep quiet then, there's nothing. If that don't light your fire, your wood's just wet. 
He didn't just shout for us back then. He's not just shouting for us now. He will shout for us on that day when He makes all things right in the world, when He gives us eternal and complete joy, when He promises to wipe away every tear, heal every disease. We shout because the battle isn't over, but because God isn't done with us yet, because He will make a way for us where there seems to be no way. He shouts, so we shout. And I want you to learn the shout this morning because I believe you might be missing out if you don't. Yes. You say, what do you do? How do, how do I shout? Would you stand with me? I'm done. What do I shout? What, what does that mean? Sometimes it's just a noise. Sometimes it's just you from the belly, from the innermost being, you just let out a, 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 a cry of praise. Y'all, I don't want to embarrass him, but I happened to be at a service this weekend where a little boy spent an hour or more at the altar and that little boy, I watched him as he just shouted. And I mean, it was, I didn't even understand all the words. It was just something out of him. He was in the presence of God. And God was filling him and working in him. And there was a shout that came out. And so sometimes it's just a noise. And it blessed me to shout right alongside him and just experience the presence of God. But also sometimes you just shout out, hallelujah. Sometimes you just shout out, thank you, Jesus. Sometimes you just shout out his name. Sometimes you shout out glory. Sometimes you shout out uh, praise you. Whatever it is, but you open your mouth up and you begin to practice now listen there's going we're going to have audience participation this morning i want you to step out of your seat i want you to come to the altar all of us together we're going to shout unto god with a voice of triumph they're going to play and we're going to begin to shout and listen there you you don't don't be a little patty cake i've seen you at the ball field i've seen you when you shouted at your wife i know you've done it before don't act like you don't have a voice this morning i want you to put into practice what he has done we're going to start shouting at the count of three and we're going to shout unto God it's a weapon against every enemy that's come against you and your family this week it is a weapon that has come against you that, that is to defeat the enemy who's come against you it is a it is a practice of creating joy in your life as you begin to shout praises unto God I want you to open up your mouth and shout to God like you have never shouted before on the count of three just let out a shout one come on shout it out two shout it out loud now, three, hallelujah! Just begin. They're going to sing and you shout as you sing. You shout it out. Lord, we love you. We praise you, Jesus. We magnify the name of Jesus. You're worthy, King Jesus. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. Oh, we shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout for joy to the Lord. Shout in the midst of the nations.
I'm almost done, but I want to tell you one thing. Some people would say, oh, it's not very dignified to shout like that. It's not very dignified to worship like that. I'm, I'm too dignified for that kind. I'm too high church. Uh, you know, we're, that's not reverent. Listen, when you're using the word like dignified in that context, it's just a, you could trade that word out for pride. Hmm. I'm too proud. That's pride. That's not dignity. It's pride. Listen, there, it, is, it is humility to come before God and worship with your voice out loud. Not caring who else is here, just saying, God, you're worthy of my voice. That song we sang this morning, it's your breath in my lungs anyway. I didn't put it there. You put it there. So I'm going to give it back to you. And so listen, this morning, you got one more chance if you just kind of sat back for a second. And you said, you know, I'm too dignified for this. I had to rebuke that pride in the name of Jesus. And I say over you this morning, you have the spirit of praise on your life. You have it. He has given you the spirit of praise. And it, it, you know, I used that metaphor of the prison a minute ago. How silly it would be to sit in the prison cell with the door open wide and be declared free, but still stay in the prison cell. But listen, when you get free, when you really get free, you're going to tell everybody about it. You're going to shout when you get free. Imagine you got a life sentence and the judge says, you know what? paid in full. You're free to go. You don't deserve to be to let go. You don't deserve this freedom, but it was given to you by someone who loves you. Listen, I'm going to shout about that. I'm going to get excited about you got one more chance on the count of three to let out a shout and watch walls fall down in your life. In Jesus' name, on the count of three, one, two, three. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah! Yes, God, we worship you, King Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. Oh, you're worthy, King Jesus. Yes. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, King Jesus.